Sounds like you're trying to describe a vegetable. It sounds like, well, just as though you're describing some form of super carrot. It's midnight. Time for the world's most moderately rated public radio show, The Late Night Fright with Dan and Faith. Buckle up. You are cleared for departure. Your destination, The Late Night Fright. Commencing transmission in five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me as always is my not-from-this-world co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Creepy Classics Month continues here on our little program. Tonight's creepy classic could have been called the Vampire Space Carrot. Whether you're a vampire space carrot or just some... thing... We want to welcome all of you to the program, be you a spook, specter, astral traveler from Dimension X, alien envoy from Bibblebrox, or just Judy from Wheaton, Illinois. Welcome one and all to Cozy Corner. We are so glad you've chosen to spend a little time with us. Faith, we have a good one tonight. What is in the laboratory for dissection this fine evening? From director Christian Nyby and producer Howard Hawks, we have 1951's The Thing from Another World, starring James Arnez as a vampire supercarrot hell-bent on sucking the blood of the human race. Faith, do you know how I know this is a good one? Because it's one of John Carpenter's favorite movies. Because it's one of John Carpenter's favorite movies. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to take a trip to the North Pole for a date with an alien. We're going to take a short pause for a coffee cause. You're listening to The Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. We'll be back with the thing from another world after these messages. We'll see you on the other side. Fright and programming on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio is made possible through a generous loan at two points on the principal from the Croppenzano family. That's Croppenzano, not Croppenzano. Say crop and you'll find yourself wearing cement shoes drowning in a pool of it. The Croppenzano is the nicest bunch of wise guys you ever want to meet. Head on down to Dan Tony's Deli. We got a room in the back. It's nice. There's some stuff that fell off the truck and make sure to ask about our executive card game. The Croppenzano family. A proud underwriter of the late night fright. We ain't a bunch of Stugats. This is Harrison Ford, the Big HF, bringing you the straight dope right here on whatever radio station this is. 
Join me as I review Royal Canadian Mountie, an exciting new blend from Saskatchewan. And make sure to stay tuned as I list my top 10 favorite Thanksgiving desserts to eat when I have a case of the Turkey Day Munchies. Should be great. Whatever. The Straight Dope. Only on WKMF, Cozy Corner, Public Radio. We now return to the Late Night Fright, the only radio show to be put on a no-fly list. We weren't lying about this being one of John Carpenter's favorite movies. Not only did the master director use footage from The Thing from Another World in his landmark 1978 film Halloween, he directed his own version of the story in 1982. If you're familiar with the Carpenter version of The Thing or the original John Campbell source material who goes there, Christian Nyby's 1951 take on the tale might seem a little strange. There's a base that's situated in a really cold place. The North Pole in tonight's film, Antarctica in the novella and 1982 film, and our human characters are isolated from the rest of the world, left alone with a thing. It might seem a little jarring that the thing in question tonight is a blood-sucking space carrot and not a shape-shifting creature. Just ask my co-host about that. Released on April 27, 1951, The Thing from Another World was directed by Christian Nyby although there is some controversy over that, and produced by legendary movie maker Howard Hawks, the man responsible for such films as Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday, Red River, and Rio Bravo. Nyby, an editor for Hawks, says he was imitating the Hawks' style, overlapping dialogue, strong female characters, and a straightforward, actor-friendly style. Modern audiences might recognize these qualities in Quentin Tarantino's style, as well as that of John Carpenter. Regardless of who directed it, the picture came together flawlessly and stands as one of the greatest science fiction horror films of all time. Our cast includes Margaret Sheridan as Nikki Nicholson, Kenneth Toby as Captain Patrick Hendry, Robert Cornthwaite as Dr. Arthur Carrington, and Douglas Spencer as Ned Scotty Scott. James Arness, most famous for his role as Marshal Matt Dillon in the long-running CBS Western series Gunsmoke, appears as The Thing. The film was loosely adapted by Charles Lederer, with uncredited rewrites from Hawks and Ben Hecht. The excellent and influential score is by legendary composer Dimitri Tomkin. In 2001, The Thing from Another World was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry, and Time Magazine has named it the greatest science fiction film from the 1950s. Is it about communism? Is it about the distrust of science after the dropping of two atomic bombs on Japan? We'll get into all of that. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Tonight, we will be scoring The Thing from Another World in one category, overall film, and in lieu of stars... We'll be awarding it Vampire Space Carrots. On with the show. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And let's get right into it. The thing from another world from 1951. I would like to start off... With a thought, if I may. Okay. I believe that Miss Margaret Sheridan in this movie gives Miss Julie Adams from The Creature from the Black Lagoon a run for her money <laughs> and the prettiest woman from a 1950s science fiction movie. It's very, it's a very good point. She's beautiful. I'm not a complete pig. I have some insightful things to say about the movie tonight, but I was uh, I was really struck by by Margaret Sheridan in this movie mm-hmm. and her performance and her look, and she does indeed remind me of Miss Julie Adams. She does. Yeah, she they does. had that thing, mm-hmm. right? They had yeah. that thing. Creature from the Black Lagoon. I actually want to start by talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon because there was something going through my head when I was watching this. Now. 
We did an episode on American Werewolf in London, the great 1981 John Landis film. That film is an homage and sort of kind of remake of The Wolfman. It's definitely in that universal monster camp. Now, when we talked about that movie, we brought up the fact that Landis wanted to remake Creature from the Black Lagoon Mm -hmm. with the original director, Jack Arnold. Now, we're looking at this movie from 1951, The Thing from Another World. This movie was remade in 1982 by John Carpenter. We're going to talk about the Carpenter movie tonight because they're 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 similar but very different. Right. But but there's there's similar enough to talk about and together. Yeah, I think they're companion pieces to right. one another. But it's it's a it's amazing to me that we did get a remake of a classic 50 sci-fi movie in 82. That movie turns out so good. And it really makes me sad that we didn't get the Jack Arnold directed, John Landis produced Universal Studios remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon because one can only imagine what that would have been like. Oh, I know. That would have been something, right? Yeah, could you even imagine? I can. I can indeed. Could we have gotten anybody as pretty as Julie Adams in it? I don't know. I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. So here we go. The Thing from Another World, 1951. This, uh, as we said, was one of the uh, voted by Time magazine as one of the greatest science fiction the greatest science fiction movie of the 50s what did you think of the thing from another world i enjoyed it a lot uh, more than i thought i would uh, not, i didn't think that i would hate it but i don't know i just i really fell into this movie you know i didn't right. even realize how long i had been watching it as i was watching it because it was just really good I, I, i'm a fan I'm glad you are. I'm a fan too. I saw this movie for the first time. I was 10 years old. It came on American movie classics one night. It was a Friday night. I will never forget it. It was the late show that night. So I want to say either the 10 or 11 o'clock movie. And I watched it with my uncle. I was staying at his house and I was with this movie and uh, I was enjoying the movie. And then when it got towards the end, the last 30 minutes of the movie and he starts coming through mm-hmm. and they're setting him on fire and nothing is stopping him. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't see him much in the movie, but the 10 year old in me was very scared <laughs> of this. <laughs> he scared me when I when I saw it for yeah. the first time. He doesn't scare me as much anymore, but I think this is a really wonderful movie. What I love about this movie is the Howard Hawks influence on it. And this movie feels very modern. This movie is now 70 years old and it feels very modern (laughs) because of the, yeah, right. Wow. (laughs) Right. Um, Because of the way that it's made, because we have the overlapping dialogue. And what I love about the movie is there's all these bits of business happening in the movie. There's about five different storylines that are happening as this movie is, is progressing. So I start watching the movie. I had watched this about two or three years ago. I, I had rewatched it and really enjoyed it, but it's not a movie that is in regular rotation for me. So I don't have this memorized like I do something like a Halloween from 1978 right. or or uh, Wolfman or something like that. But so we get into it and I'm going, man, this isn't the movie I remembered. Like, And then I took a step back and I went, this is amazing. That first act is one thing and then the second act is something. And then you get to the creature in the third act. But there's these these multiple storylines going on. You've got the little love story romance going on. And not only are there bits of business going on with the story, there's bits of business going on with these characters. Did you notice how much the characters would like hand things to one another? Yes. Like uh, uh, our, our captain uh, and Miss Sheridan and, and they're handing cigarettes to one another mm-hmm. and they've got witty banner happening. Yes. And it doesn't feel like a typical 50s, uh, woman where where the no. relationship stuff could be kind of one-sided and one might even say uh, I, I don't I don't I hate the word problematic but um uh, uh, maybe a little chauvinistic you know and this uh-huh. doesn't feel chauvinistic it feels like she has a lot of power in this relationship it's it an does. equal power does uh, sharing here and it's just fun and funny but there's but they're handing things to one another and then you've got the scientist story but even then the other little guys like the guards and stuff have their own stories going on and then of course the newspaper man Scotty who is my favorite character in this whole piece has his story going on and i think everything just comes together really wonderfully and oh, it's I think and so it's too. um and it's just a lot of fun and Howard Hawks 
uh, although he didn't direct this, uh, although there's the controversy over it, uh, it doesn't matter who directed it. This movie comes together so well. He directed one of the greatest Westerns, and for my money, one of the greatest movies ever made, Rio Bravo, which uh, Quentin Tarantino has called the greatest hangout movie of all time. So you're hanging out with John Wayne and Dean Martin and Ricky Nelson in that movie, and uh, Walter Brennan's also in it. But here, you're hanging out with these characters for a good bit of the movie, and right. you like hanging out with these characters, don't you? You and do. And then... It, great horror movies establish character, and then you don't want bad things to happen to the characters. And I think that's one of the great strengths of this movie. Oh, so absolutely. This is a movie that is built on the mystery of what is this thing in the ice, this this ship that they find in the ice, and then what is this thing that is that has you know survived. Um, what did you think as this was uh, playing out? Because it's uh, you could look at this and go, where's the monster? Where's the monster? Where's the monster? Because they do hold off on that monster showing up. He really doesn't show up until the last third of the of the movie. Um, what did you think of the, of the way this was playing out? Was it a surprise to you that we're getting all these story elements, you know, and things that y- were you going, well, let's get to the movie. Let's get to the monster well, movie. A part of me, yeah, but not really, because I really liked the way that they were setting up the movie with all those stories. Because, like you said, you really get to know the characters, and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. So I feel like we were really getting to know them. But I also feel like it was really mysterious that we weren't really getting the full scoop yet. It was just kind of building to it. So I feel like it was... I was okay with it. I was really, really into this movie. I mean... I got into it, too. Really into it. I really got into it. I said, I started... I hit the button... To pause it and it was like 45 minutes in and I was shocked. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I did. I did close to the same thing. I And I realized like, I was like, wow, I'm almost done. Like, right. Almost done like, with oh, the movie Because okay. it just, it's a very quick ride. Howard Hawks was very big on every scene in the movie being good. He said, he said, you know, no bad scenes and three great scenes is what he called uh, a good movie. And <laughs> this is one of those, every scene is really good, but there's like three or four that are just standout yeah. scenes, you know? But uh, I I divorced myself from the 82 film because I, I'm such a fan of the 82 film. And so I was trying to my best to take a few steps back from that and put myself into the mind of someone seeing this for the first time. And it's really wonderful how the mystery plays out in this, in that they go, you're in the North Pole, and they find the ship, and you go, well, wait, what the hell is this? Right. And then something has survived, and what the hell is this? And then it comes, you know, it thaws and comes out, and you go, and what the hell is, and and you're always going, what the hell is this? And it's it's just so so effortless the the way that the story just unfolds and it's not just the monster movie. I'm mean, keep harping on it. It's not just the monster movie. Right. There's there's these there's these these like I said those little uh, side stories and everything's interconnected. Now there's some bigger issues here. I do want to get into uh, before we get into the bigger issues of this movie. And I think there's a few things that we need to talk about. This movie plays very modern because of it the does. way that these uh, characters are interacting and the way that the dialogue is presented. And if you're a film buff, the director, Robert Altman, was a big fan of overlapping dialogue. Did he get it from Howard Hawks? I'm not 100% sure, but this is something you can even hear like ambient stuff in the back. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's, so very modern feeling. And uh, there's some themes in here that we're going to need to talk about because it does pertain to today. So we're going to get to that in a second. But we do need to talk about the 1982 version because they are companion pieces. The 1982 version is one of my all-time favorite films. I think it's the greatest science fiction horror film ever made. The I thing. think so, too. And it does uh, hew a little closer to the novella that uh, Joe Campbell wrote, uh, Who Goes There? Um, what it, First off, what are your thoughts on the 82 version of the thing? And we have done... Uh, an episode. It's actually a two-part episode mm-hmm. because it's such a big movie. You have yeah. to. There's so much to talk about with it. But uh, what are your thoughts on the '82 version of the thing? Oh, I'm with you. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, it's just it is so good. And I, tr- I almost try to put myself. I, I try to take myself out of it to not compare it to the movie. But then parts of me were trying to put myself into John Carpenter's shoes yeah. to really feel like, okay, what inspired him? Like, why does he love this so much? And I get it. And he loves it so much that he actually used the title sequence from this for his movie. Right. <laughs> I think what he loves about it, and I heard him talk about it, is the character relationships. Mm-hmm. And that is the one thing that is uh, kind of essential to both movies. 
Right. Now it's a different vibe in each movie, but you do have all of these characters here interacting in the in the 51 version. And uh, there's there's not the paranoia that's happening in the 82 movie, no. but there's definitely a sense of distrust and there's a sense of uh, isolation that's mm-hmm. that's uh, the same throughout both movies. Right. But the character relationships and like we said, the Howard Hawks style, you know, you can see it in Quentin. If, if oh, you, yeah. you can definitely see it in Quentin Tarantino style. But if you watch the thing from another world and watch a Carpenter movie, you can see where he's try what he's trying to do Mm -hmm. you know and uh but i think it's just that you have a character driven movie i think that's the big thing that you take from this and that's very scary it's because he said as a child he saw this as one of the first movies he saw and it scared him and you know it's kind of ironic one of the first big monster movies i saw as a child was his version of the thing and it scared me (laughs) it scared me yeah and it scares me today for different reasons you know um Because that's the amazing thing about that movie is you can take away all of the special effects from that movie and it's still a terrifying experience because of the paranoia that's just so ingrained in that. I don't find this one to be as paranoid as the uh, 82 version, but there's there's definitely the... The butting of heads between the military and the scientist guys, and then they they're not sure their orders, and right. they're having they're isolated, so they're having to act on their own. And then the self preservation though is something yeah. again that's that's uh, uh, the same across both films. Right. Well, I feel like the stakes are different in each movie. You know, John yeah. Carpenter's you can't see necessarily what's going on, so of course that paranoia is there because you're just not even sure what's happening. Here, I feel like. Everybody has, it really is based on the character. I mean, everybody's point of view of how to deal with this is what, you know, we're really going right. on. And then right. I feel like the the more of the fear and horror is of the actual creature that you see. And like, you know, yeah. so yeah, it is less yeah. paranoia, but I, I like it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, you, you were very taken with the vampire space carrot. Uh, <laughs> I was confused. And it is a vampire <laughs> space carrot. Uh, but but like the 82 version, there is a ticking clock here because this thing is going to multiply mm-hmm. and this thing has the potential to take over the human race. So there is that aspect of it, you know, that, that right. not only is this thing a danger to the group itself that we're, we're watching, but it's a danger to humanity at right. large, you know. Uh, I, I really I can't say enough good things about this movie because if you go in looking for just the straight monster movie, you might be disappointed. If you go in looking for a really great piece of fifty cinema uh, that still holds up today, you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna exceed your expectations. So exactly. let's talk about some of the things that make this still feel very modern. When this came out in fifty one, uh, some people were very, uh, very questioning of the dropping of two atomic bombs on Japan, on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And this brings up a question. I feel like we've talked about this recently on this show of just because we can do something, should we, should we? Should we do something? And where is that line? Where's the... Where's the ethical line with that? Well, okay, great. We can create a weapon that can, you know, eradicate <laughs> people with blinding light, you know? Right. I mean, and it's awful when you look at these things. Uh, Godzilla was one of the movies where we, we mm-hmm. talked about that, obviously, you know? Um, and there's still shadows on the wall from where the flash happened, you know? Uh, that's, I mean, think about that. The, the shadow of someone is still there, I know. you know? And of course, Godzilla famously, the skin, you know, looked like the, uh, what, what's that? Uh, what's, what's the term? Car, cardoid? Cartoid? Car, there's a term for the way, but the survivors, the, the way their skin looked and the, the, the phrase is escaping me right now. But I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. I can't I, I, yeah. Ketoid. 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 That's it. <laughs> and uh, not to be confused with the keto diet, <laughs> but, uh, um, but, uh, Okay, so we can do this, but should we do this? Should we do this? Right. Okay, and you get these scientists in these laboratories, and they're creating these super viruses. Uh, well, why are we doing this? Well, so we can find the cure. You know. Well, why? Why, why are, do you? Yeah, I, I actually heard an interview with somebody one time. Like, yeah, well, we have to do it so we can find a cure because eventually this is going to happen. Well, it, it it hadn't happened yet. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, maybe there's a reason that it hadn't happened yet. So, but there's a lot of distrust of scientists at this time, and and I don't think that the scientists come off looking too good in this movie. No, and um, uh, also the 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 kind of, for lack of a better term, the kind of liberal mentality of the scientists. Well, let us reason with this thing. Let us reason. With, well, this thing is there to kill you. This right. This this vampire. It doesn't spa- want to reason with you. It doesn't want to reason with you. It's not in its DNA. This vampire space <laughs> carrot is there to kill you. And uh, but the scientists uh, really don't come off looking that great in this movie. Uh, what did you think of that aspect of this? I feel like that was really like. That's that original, like, kind of monster movie right there. You know, with the kind of crazy scientist wanting to experiment with stuff. You know, it's like... He was willing. He was willing to sacrifice this group of people (laughs) because we don't understand this thing that is trying to kill us. Yeah. And I'm all all for holding hands and singing Kumbaya. (laughs) I really am. But if something's trying to kill you and eradicate you... You've got to end it. Yeah. We're not going to be sitting here spending time... Because the big question is, what would have happened if Arnold had tried to reason with the Predator in 1987? Right. You know, there's just a time and a place where you just got to destroy some stuff. (laughs) There's a time and place for diplomacy. And when the space carrot's coming after you, that's not it. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I I don't think they come off. I think the film, uh, the the point of view of the film is is pretty clear Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, I think so. So you could say that's a distrust of authority, you mm-hmm. know, because some people view science as an authority, you know, and the thing in 82 Carpenter's version does definitely have a distrust of authority and a distrust of civilization itself. Because one of the things we mentioned in that movie is you look at that cast from 82. And now, these these people here, are military people, you know, and, and they belong there. They belong there. Mm-hmm. The 1982 people living at Outpost 31 down in Antarctica, they're so outcast and it's like these people don't belong anywhere and there's right. this real kind of counterculture thing going on and like the distrust of the man you know in yeah. that movie so but uh but that brings us to today and and these times that we find ourselves living in it feels to me that at times science has become a very politicized and B has become a religion unto itself, which is ironic because there are so many people who are into science who say, well, this, this, you know, should eradicate religion, you know, and then you're, you're using science as a religion in itself, which is very weird, lack of critical (laughs) thinking right there, you know, (laughs) but, uh, so I'm watching this and I'm going, this is very, this is playing like very modern for me. This, right. this, this, you can see it, you know, this distrust of science mm-hmm. in a lot of people, some of it justified, some of it not justified, <laughs> you know, but, um, I thought that was a very interesting facet of the movie. No, I did too. I really did. Yeah. And it's a 50s science fiction movie, so of course it's a Cold War allegory. In this case, it's very cold <laughs> where they are. But uh, no, I can, I can, I can definitely make that work in my mind that, yeah, that this too. this was an allegory for the Cold War. Yeah, so, absolutely. This is this it, it, is this is a really great movie. Let's talk about uh, the thing in question. James Arness plays the thing. James Arness, of course, would go on to play Marshall Matt Dillon for 20 years on. The TV show Gunsmoke, he holds the record for playing a character the longest. Uh, Mr. Kelsey Grammer almost broke that record with Fraser Crane from both Cheers and Fraser. He got to 19, I believe. Was uh, Somebody pr- from uh, Grey's Anatomy is probably going <laughs> to... It could happen. It could happen. Um, uh, fun trivia fact, uh, the TV show that he was on, Gunsmoke, was originally... A radio show, and do you know who portrayed Matt Dillon on the radio show? I know that was William Conrad, who would go on to television fame as Cannon. Okay, yeah, Cannon. That's Very a great cool. show. I love Cannon. Very cool. He also was on Jake and the Fat Man. Another great bit of trivia: James Arness is the older brother of actor Peter Graves. Peter Graves is most familiar to television audiences as Mister Phelps on Mission Impossible. He was also great in a lot of movies, including Airplane, which is one of the funniest movies of all time. He was also in um, uh, some some. B movies back in the day too. There's one that's escaping me at the moment. These aliens have these big eyes. I think it's a 
killers from Mars or killers from outer space. They have these like huge eyes. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So James Arness plays the thing. He is very tall. He is very imposing. And although we don't really get a good look at him in this movie, he is no. uh, quite a striking figure. Uh, this is a lot different, as we said, from the 1982 version and the novella where the character is a shape shifter. Uh, you, this one has a shape. So <laughs> comes out the ice and he has a shape. Well, what were your thoughts on the thing itself? I like him. I feel like, okay, so I'm going to compare it to the John Carpenter film. And I don't, I don't want to, but I feel like that's, it's okay. You know, I feel like that's the one thing that I prefer more with the Carpenter is that it makes it so much creepier that it is a shapeshifter. Because you don't know what or who it is, but I don't necessarily have a problem with the with, you know with him here. I feel like it just it's not as creepy. <laughs> as, you know. I feel like I feel like both of these movies are very much of their time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, no, absolutely. Be because we know who the threat is in the fifties. We know mm -hmm. that it's the Russians and the communists, and then. When we get into the thing, we're we're past eighty two. We're mm -hmm. we're uh, post Watergate, and so people in our own government are right. are selling us out, and we don't know who's who and who belongs to which side. And right. I, I think it's very fitting. Yeah, I, I think they're very fitting. Oh, it, it, it absolutely I, I think is. they both work for for the for each. I just each love film. the creepy shapeshifter idea, but oh, this absolutely. I love this though here too. I mean, he's he's terrifying, just busting through. You know, I mean. It was reminding me of Freddy even. when they were setting him on fire yes. and stuff like that. Yes. It was very much reminding me of Freddy. Then I thought of Nicolas Cage because, you know. Nicolas Cage Nicolas movies, everything's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I love like the electricity, like that idea of like shocking it or, you know, like. Yeah, very cool, really right? Cool. Very cool. I really cool. like that. Very cool. Like it, it's, just it, seeing him kind of disintegrate. And, like and this, just, this is a very cool movie. We got to talk about my favorite character, Scotty. I love the newspaper man, Scotty. I love <laughs> that we have an outsider to the military. I love that we have a, a point of view character. I feel mm -hmm. like the movie is told through his point of view. And and what a wonderful performance that is. What a wonderful, fun oh, performance it is. Uh, he's witty without being sarcastic. He's... Uh, uh, he's brave. He he participates in the events. He's right. he's very brave. Uh, he's also not afraid to be scared and vulnerable. And I just think it's a wonderful performance. I feel like he's the proxy for the audience. We have it there exactly. in the introduction with uh, you're talking about a space carrot, you know, and <laughs> and it's funny and it should be a little funny because it's ridiculous. But then he has this wonderful moment at the end where he sums it up. Yes. And what I love about it at the end is that when he he has the opportunity to slam the doctor and he doesn't slam the doctor. And mm -hmm. even the serviceman behind him says, way to go. Good for you, Scotty. Like, and, and, he, and he very eloquently sums up what you just watched. Exactly. And he sums up the times in which the movie was made. And he also sums up, because this is just a few years after the Roswell incident, you know, what's going to be coming on with this UFO craze, you know, in yes. the next few years. Because they do talk a little bit about the UFOs, don't they, in mm -hmm. the movie? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, this is still a relatively new thing. I think it's a really wonderful character. It's a really I wonderful so creation. And I just absolutely adore that character and that performance. I think it's the, I think it's one of the best things in the film. Oh, I absolutely. I don't think it. the film works without him. I don't think it. it does either. No, I really don't. I really don't. What do you think before we wrap this up? What do you think about the kind of gender relations in this movie? Uh, because it does not feel like a typical fifties movie. We've seen, no older movies where it's more of that uh like i said for lack of a better word chauvinistic you know mm -hmm. there's a there's a, a a power hierarchy and the man is usually if the man speaking then you're not yes exactly keep your mouth shut then. exactly uh this movie does not feel like that no. because this is a howard hawks film and howard hawks very famously cast, you know, Catherine Hepburn and things. And Catherine Hepburn is not a woman that was going to be, you know, uh, walked over at yeah. all. And this just feels very fresh, very modern. And, it uh, does. and, and dare I say it right. It feels yeah. very right. I like the I partnership aspects of the, and it's not just in the quote unquote romantic subplot. No, it's, no, no. it's, it's, uh, her in, you know, uh, Margaret Sheridan interacting with, with all, with of, the all of the men exactly. in, the, in the movie. They never treat her like 
a piece of meat or piece just of a meat woman. Or, you know, just or, come on, lady. Uh, make uh, the coffee and <laughs> go make the coffee. Yeah, she brings coffee, but it's not like, hey, baby, go make us some coffee. Yeah. You know, it's it's a really wonderful performance. I think she gives in the movie, and I love her presence in the movie. And that's a big difference between this and the '82 version. Is you have females in this, movie. Mm-hmm. and there's a one of the scientists is yeah. a is a female, and she they all everybody though contributes. But I, I I do love the fact that you have strong women here. I do too. One of my favorite parts was like, "What do you do with a carrot?" And she's like, "You boil it, or you bake right. it, or you grill it, or really whatever." <laughs> like I love that she like had an input you know and it's right like, right it felt like a team you know it just didn't feel like it was all these men let's not listen to her it felt like a, a group effort and, and i, I and, really and i feel that. like if this movie was made today that they would uh, go out of the way to make the men look stupid and it would be yeah. some some kind of girl or it would power be all, yeah it would be like an all-female cast you know like you said girl power and, it'd be a girl and power moment <laughs> yeah and this was just like everybody's in this to survive this and, yeah it didn't matter just, who you were it's, it's like it was yes this is a very very so well very done. good movie do you, do you prefer one version over the other? I have a feeling you're probably going to say you prefer the 82 <laughs> version, but I do feel like they're different enough to, to recommend both of them. I, oh, no, I love this movie. Of course I prefer the 82. I mean, it's John Carpenter, and I mean, it's just it's just so good, you know? Yeah. But I don't I don't hate this movie one bit. This movie is really, really good. It is really, really good. Let me let me backtrack around to my, to my uh, point I raised at the beginning of this. How upset are you that we didn't get a Creature from the Black Lagoon remake? I'm upset. In the 80s. <laughs> I'm upset. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because they had done Dracula in 79 with Frank Langella, and then you get uh, uh, American Werewolf in London, which is pretty much the wolf man. It's not the same story, but, you know, right. it's, it's a modern updating, and it's in the universal mm-hmm. you know, uh, line. Uh, and we could have gotten Creature from the Black Lagoon. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Yeah, it would have been amazing. Because in the 80s, we kind of got uh, uh, House of Frankenstein with the Monster Squad. We got that in a way. We had True. all the monsters there, which is wonderful. That's one of my favorite films of all mm-hmm. time. But uh, I, I think to get a Landis-produced <laughs> Creature from the Black Lagoon, especially considering what effects were at the time and how th- th- those breakthroughs were being made, uh, Star Wars with the with the you know kind of practical effects yeah. with with all that, but even the makeup effects that were happening with like Stan Winston and Rick Baker and all yeah. these guys and Kevin Yeager there right. and what they could have done with the Gill Man, you oh, know, because so look cool. at what they did with the Gill Man in Monster Squad, which right. is fa- and Stan Winston, I think I think it's Stan Winston did it. It's fantastic, but to get that with the '80s vibe and to bring out some of the subtext like uh, like they did with the Thing, you know. Know. An American Werewolf in London. I think right, that would have been absolutely wonderful. You're making me upset that it's a, we. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a great what if. Isn't the, yeah, it? the more I'm sitting here, though, I'm like, oh my god, now I'm really upset. It's a great what if. This. Great what if. So god, that's like this is this too is bad. this is really wonderful movie though. Um, like I said, I can definitely see the communist stuff in it. I can see absolutely. the scientific stuff in it, and I think. The, the strength of this movie is in the characters and the situations, the actors, the way it's played. It's really just perfect across the board. But uh, but what I admire about it, it's 70 years old now, and it's still playing. That and blew it's my It's still mind. playing modern. Yeah. Blew my mind. Really great stuff here. Really good stuff. So we are going to take a very short pause. This is a news break, so be sure to stay tuned for all of the fake news not fit to print. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Doesn't it? 
join me, your unnamed host from an undisclosed location for conspiracies, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Bring your adult diapers because you're going to evacuate your bowels when you learn the truth about Stonehenge, the Shriners, and Shakira's hips. Here's a hint. They lied. Conspiracies. Right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. smelling something awful in and around Cozy Corner recently, you are not alone. That's right, Faith. The smell has been described as a smorgasbord of shit-ass bad decisions and battery acid. I would like to note that this description is coming directly from the website of the Cozy Corner Institute of Science and Stuff. Their words, not mine. We reached out to local officials looking for an answer to the question of what the hell is this smell? And I'm here to tell you, what we found out is shocking. You may have undersold it, Faith. According to local officials, Cozy Corner is now a waste dump for aliens from the planet Zidi Reedy. Apparently, Cozy Corner needed the money and the Zidi Reedies are incredible pigs. The battery acid smell is attributed to an enzyme present in the ZD Reedy's fecal matter. Apparently, there's something in their system that's a lot like battery acid. The shit-ass and bad decision smells should be self-explanatory. Also self-explanatory, the ZD Reedy's have a horrible diet. The current waste management contract is expected to last four Morgons, or 30 Earth years. So get used to it, Cozy Corner. And that is the news. Stay tuned for our scores and a preview of next week's show. This is Bobby D'Amato, the host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. After Dan and Faith are done, make sure to stay tuned for the best baby-making music from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. On with the creepy crawlies. And now, before giving you the details of the battle, I bring you a warning. Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world... Tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the skies. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner, Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. It's getting late. It is. It's getting late. It's good music for the late shift. It's beautiful. Some would say the graveyard shift. (laughs) All right, let's wrap it up. The thing from another world. What world? Well, we don't know. We don't know. Apparently a place where space carrots come from. (laughs) Maybe it's ZD Reedy. Who knows? Tonight we are going to be scoring this film in one category, overall film. And in lieu of stars, we will be awarding it vampire space carrots. I like it. You were really taken with that, weren't you? I was. It's just a weird thing to it describe really something. It really is. I have a feeling I know how you scored it. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can play Karnak the Great. Uh, Faith, did you score the thing from another world four vampire space carrots I, out of a possible four? I did. 
guess what? What? So did I. I had a feeling. <laughs> it's that good. It really is. It's that good. This might be my favorite movie so far in Creepy Classic Month. Mm-hmm. It does so many things well. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, I love it. It's a great movie on top of just being a great science fiction movie. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, you can definitely see its influence still on things today. Mm-hmm. So we have one movie left in Creepy Classics Month. That's The Innocence with Deborah Carr. Yeah, we we have we both haven't seen that movie. We both haven't seen it. I always love a good first time watch Me too. for us. So But we have a little curveball because that's not going to be our next <laughs> show. Nope. So our next show is actually going to be a review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. We have our tickets to go see the movie. And we're going to get that show out just as soon as we, we see, see the movie. <laughs> so, you looking forward to it? Oh, absolutely. I'm I looking am. forward to it too. I'm looking forward to it too. I'm also looking forward to The Innocence. So, Me hopefully, too. we'll have two good ghost stories. Hopefully, so. In a row. <laughs> hopefully, so. I can't say enough good things about this movie. The Thing from the World is a classic for a lot of reasons. All of those reasons are very valid. I also can't say enough good things about all of you out there who are tuning in. It is so flattering that you're listening to our little program. I've been saying this for a few weeks now. I look around the studio. I see our little mood lighting. I see our coffee. I see my lovely and gracious co-host sitting across from me. And it's amazing to us that we are being heard in so many locations around the world by so many people. It is flattering. It's a, it's a privilege to have this conversation with my best friend in the whole wide world. And it's a pleasure to bring this conversation to you. As we say, we hope that uh, we, we, we give you a smile. Norm MacDonald said it's one thing to make people laugh. It's another to leave them with a smile. Those are some deep words. Those are some really deep words from a, from a guy who was very, very deep. And um, we hope that we left you with a smile and we hope uh, that you pay that smile forward. That's all we ask. We're not asking you for, for money. This is a free show with yep. free content. And face it, our content, uh, when you listen back to our content, it's, you know, it's of the quality that it should be free. <laughs> so... <laughs> But uh, we hope that we, uh, you know, gave you a, a view on the movie, some history, uh, helped you appreciate these movies a little more, maybe see something you didn't. And we hope that you pay that smile forward and we hope that you call up some friends and watch these movies, any movie, but, you know, hopefully this movie and listen to our show and talk about uh, some of the things that you saw in this movie. And if you see some things that we didn't see, get in touch with us at Late Night Fright podcast at gmail.com we would love to hear from each and every one of you tell us we're doing a great job tell us we're doing a bad job say hey you guys are doing it right down the middle (laughs) if you feel so inclined leave us a uh, review on itunes and give us a five-star rating it helps us get the word out about the show Uh, if you can't do any of that guess what you're doing the best thing you can for us by listening we certainly appreciate that we love doing this show we love bringing it to you and all we ask is that uh, you you pay a smile forward. Yeah, it's it positivity. Positivity is a very powerful thing. It really is. I'm as I'm getting older, I am doing my best to be a glass half full kind of guy. Okay. And uh, if if just for a moment, if I can just give a little bit of advice to to people out there, and maybe somebody's listening that needs to hear this, if you're in a situation. Be it a relationship, be it a job, be it uh, anything you know you might find yourself in, and you're unhappy, do yourself the best favor that you can do. Remove yourself from that situation. I recently did that. I, I left a job I had been at for 12 or so years, and I have never been happier or healthier in my life. My outlook has changed completely. Mm-hmm. I have been told by some people I look five to 10 years younger than I did when I was working this job that was draining me, literally draining literally. me of my life. So if I can pass that along, if that helps somebody, uh, I hope it does. If you're in a situation, be it, like I said, be it a relationship, be it something, I don't know what it may be. There's so many... Uh, things you can find yourself in that can drain you. Uh, leave it. Leave it. Yep. Trust in the bigger picture. 
take that leap of faith. Believe me, you will be so happy that you did. And good things will come to you. I promise you that if you keep a positive outlook, good things will come to you. I'm proof of that. And I've, like I said, I've never been happier. And the people around me can see it. They can see it and they know how happy I am. And, uh, So do yourself that favor if you need to do that. So we hope that you are happy. We hope that you're healthy, safe, sane, taking your vitamins and uh, abiding, abiding (laughs) with the universe, (laughs) as the great Jeffrey Lebowski would say. (laughs) We, uh, We do sincerely thank you all for tuning in. Keep your eyes to the sky. As Scotty said, there you go. I've asked this before. I know the answer, but someone out there, this might be their first time tuning in to our little program here. Faith, where are you on the alien thing? Oh, aliens absolutely are are a thing. They exist in my book. How uh, ingrained do you think they are in our society? Do you think uh, Do you think we're being visited regularly? I think so. I think they've been here a good while. I think. I think some people in the public eye might be aliens. I've yeah, said this. I think so. I've said this before. Uh, not naming any names, but uh, just watch the movie Split. <laughs> the Queen's Gambit. <laughs> she looks like one of the ones that they say. Uh, That's yeah, a strange. I forget which. Yeah, they say that there are some that are in the public eye. I don't know. <laughs> Who am I to judge? I. Uh, but uh, I think they're here. Yeah, I definitely think they're here. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, Star Trek Enterprise told us that the Vulcans visited us years ago. So, I mean, that's true. We got to believe that. We got to believe Star Trek. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I hope they're benevolent. I really do. Uh, I think uh, the fact that we haven't been exterminated yet uh, (laughs) uh, tends to, you know. Or have we? Maybe we have. Maybe I don't know. We'll, you know, are we, are we, is this? You know, we'll see. So the we other have some, side. <laughs> we have some ghost movies coming up. So I'll ask you the ghost question uh, next time. I know where you stand on that, but again, they might they might not know. <laughs> and the right, answer yeah. is yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you all again for tuning in. Like I said, if you want to get in touch with us, that's late night fried podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from each and every one of you. Up next, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and that will be followed by The Innocence, starring the great Deborah Carr. She was in From Here to Eternity and The King and I. Do you like The King and I, Faith? I like that song, Getting to Know You. That's a great song. Very good song. Very good song. Does it feel like it's that time? It does. If we snap our fingers, can we make the magic happen? On three, one, two, three. Good snap, Faith. Very good snap. Very good snap. All right. It's that time. Yeah, it's time to say goodbye. It is time to say goodbye. It's always it's always sad to say goodbye. It is, but we'll be back next week. Yes, but whether you like it or not. <laughs> well, if they don't like it, then don't listen. But please listen. Yeah. Please, Get please 500 listen. 500 of your closest friends to listen. <laughs> Take us home, Faith. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you a vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. leash. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs>